0: director Matt Osterman was heavily influenced by The Twilight Zone as a kid. By the time he got to college, he realized directing films could be a real opportunity for him to tell stories. In his latest movie, Hover, Osterman teamed up with screenwriter and actress Cleopatra Coleman for a futuristic film that revolves around an environmental strain that led to agricultural drones who turned dangerous. In this interview, Osterman discusses the problem with movies written by corporations, his take on '70s thrillers for the movie Hover, creating your own look as writer-director, and knowing when to twist the knot or build proper tension in films.
1: Yeah, so I, I came from a, a small town in northern Wisconsin, and, and you know, filmmaker wasn't necessarily on the uh, <laughs> on the career checklist. So it wasn't it wasn't a, a thing I really knew that people did. You know, I was acutely aware of. Of movies, and I was, you know, infatuated, infatuated with them, and you know, I was always playing around with cameras and writing stories, but I never really quite connected the dots. I don't know if I'm just a, a slow learner or or whatnot, but you know, eventually, I think in college, you know, I had the light bulb moment, and uh, and I said, you know what, I can actually probably do this. You know, why why the hell not? You know, there's other people out there doing it. You know, let's let's give it a shot. So. Yeah, it's just I think maybe just right out of college I, I started kind of writing and, and sailing, you know, kind of on my own and eventually got up the nerve to do some really bad shorts and then kind of built from there.
0: What kind of led you, you know, slightly, if you're to um, just characterize, like, into the in the sci-fi genre? What were those early inspirations you saw as a kid or growing up that you really liked?
1: Yeah, so I think,
0: you know, I can kind of blame my my parents
1: for that. They, you know, I think it was... I must have been 9, 10, 11, somewhere around there. They gave me a, a hand-me-down black-and-white TV. You know, it was probably 10 inches or something, like, to put in my room, you know. Really crappy TV, but I, <laughs> you know, at that age, I'm like, all right, like, some creative freedom here. I get to kind of fall into that world, and I you might have even picked up, like, four stations. It was pretty bad. But one of the things that I was playing all the time, kind of in that, that seminal point, was uh, the Twilight Zone. So you know at night they would play reruns of the twilight zone on one of these channels and i just would kind of watch those as much as i could and and would follow suit to them often and and i'm sure that's probably requires some therapy at this point in my life but i think uh yeah learning from the master rod serling I, i think kind of imbued um you know my own creative kind of aspirations with thinking of these kind of bigger ideas and and, and these deeper mysteries, and, and maybe humans don't have all the answers, and, and uh, kind of kind of playing in that space is endlessly fascinating to me. And that might have been there with or without um, Twilight Zone, but that's the that's the excuse I can hang that hat on.
0: What led you, or what was the jumping point between you? As far as IMDb has listed, you got two shorts listed, and a few years later you came out with Ghost from the Machine. How did you first get that movie made and find funding and everything else for it?
1: Yeah, so I did, a, yeah, a, a couple of shorts, and then uh, I got hired on to be a, a local, pre- a, a feature documentary um, that was executive produced by John Stewart at The Daily Show, and I just got, you know, pretty lucky to get hired on that. But but doing that, you know, and and working on making a film for over a year kind of gave me the confidence. So you know, let's you know create our own luck. Let's go uh, make something. So. You know, I wrote something uh to be done really cheaply and kinda of built a team and we passed the hat and, and you know, got a few investors and we made a made a feature for about twenty five you know, twenty five grand and uh, and you know, kind of pulled it off just through a, a ridiculous amount of sweat equity and, and, and favours and, and that was kind of the uh yeah, the launching point for me.
0: So after that, a few years later, you made a movie called 400 Days. Um, I read an interview you did back when the movie came out. You said you were trying to avoid stories that, uh, quote, you know, spoon-fed, paint-by-numbers narratives. What does that mean to you? Is that something you find in the script? Uh, Obviously, it's like avoiding tropes and things, but how do you think about that as you approach, you know, filmmaking and being a director?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I'm not going to call out any movies by name, but movies out there these days that I actually love. uh, And I love going to the theater to watch, but it's clear, you know, they're kind of written by a corporation and they're checking off a bunch of boxes and they're fun, you know, roller coasters. Like, I, I appreciate that. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, But in terms of like my own artistic sensibilities, I, I would get kind of bored, you know, doing, doing that sort of thing. So let's, let's kind of push the envelope and find kind of new, interesting angles um, to tell, tell these stories and, you know, make them about characters or about things that are kind of still in the unknown that we're not really sure where they get to go. And I get to kind of extrapolate, you know, what I think is going to happen in, in the, in the near future. And, and, uh, you know, it's all really just a big excuse for me to learn and do research and, you know, just, you know, kind of inter- eternally inquisitive. So I think, uh, these things are opportunities for me to kind of just geek out and learn new stuff.
0: Uh, so for example we'll, we'll get to the new movie in just a second, so, with four hundred days it came it was kind of loosely based on this real experiment called Mars 500 I believe that was meant to showcase the psychological effects of what it's like to be in deep space. Um, where did your research begin? Did you just read an article about that and start writing a screenplay, or how did that all kind of take shape in the in the script?
1: yeah, exactly no i yeah i don't remember what the initial article was or story, but I read it in my holy crap, like, who would sign up, you know, to go away and and, and live in, you know, this two five hundred days? It's not even really, there's no real space travel involved. You know, you don't get the glory of, of that. You're just, you know, going in this confined space, you know, for science, which I thought was rad. I could never do it. But these people, you know, like, were kind of heroes to me. And, you know, because part of their mission was educational, they published a lot of, you know, what they're up to, and they recorded video diaries and, and a lot of written stuff. So I kind of uh, just dove in out of pure uh, interest. And then I said, you know what, there's actually maybe a story here. Like, what if, you know, what if we wrap a narrative around it, and what if it's the worst-case scenario? You know, what if they go in expecting one thing, and they get out, and it's something else entirely? You know, because they're on this self-sufficient chip that— cut off from most parts of the world and, and they're told it's going to be a simulation and experiment. So they're expecting a lot of things to kind of go wrong and then, uh, playing with that and turning those dials. And and that was kind of a, kind of a, a fun place to start. Uh,
0: so with your latest film, it was written by uh, actress and, and star of the movie Cleopatra Coleman. This is her first script. Uh, at least is like a, a full feature. I believe it's been made. Um, as far as your conversations with her, what kind of sparked this idea, and then what attracted you to this project?
1: Yeah, so you know, I was first approached by the producer who had already started working with Cleopatra on it, and I had known Travis Stevens for a little bit, and we we're friends of friends, and I thought he had impeccable taste, and and I really looked up to him and wanted to work with him. So when he kind of came on board and kind of told me the concept, and I read the script and and talked to Cleo, it, it became a, a no brainer. To me, you know, she had created this really interesting, fun world that, you know, mirrored our own kind of world right now quite a bit, but just you know tweaked a little bit and pushed it a little bit into the future, and and that was a sandbox I wanted to to play in, and and luckily, you know, she was cool enough to let me bring a bunch of my own ideas to the table as well, and uh, yeah, it just a, it was a great collaboration
0: overall. So this feels like the kind of movie where, you know, it could be right around the corner. It remind me of um, maybe like, you know, Spielberg's Minority Report was supposedly based on 50 years from now when it came out. What other kind of research went into this script? Was there anything that was too drastic? Like, how do you kind of draw the line between sci-fi and realism when you're making something that possibly isn't too far away in the future?
1: That's a, it's a really great question and something that we, you know, spent a lot of time on trying to get as right as possible because, you know, no one can, can read the future, so it's just a lot of best guesses from there. Uh, and I think, you know, I've wanted to kind of play with uh, a couple of dichotomies. One was the urban versus rural, you know, so, you know, you get to kind of play in both of those worlds with the different levels of technology and how much is involved there. And then also, you know, technology, it's not like, you know, someone dry, draws a, a line in a calendar and says everything has to look futuristic from here on out, right? It's an evolution of of, of, of technology, and it's often you kind of can't tell what's happening. Uh, it's advancing a lot quicker these days, so it does kind of feel like we're we're moving into the future for the first time. Um, but what I wanted to show was kind of you know, a lot of these people had you know you know one foot in the past and one foot in the future, so they they do have some of those elements that. Are from um, the future, but they're being used and they're practical. They're not just these, uh, you know, showy sci-fi pieces. They actually have have value in their life, and and they're dirty and, and and you know, being used on a day-to-day basis. So it was really trying to find those tools, corporations, and, and trying to wrap the uh, you know, kind of that that world-building around that idea
0: in terms of you know creating suspense i don't want to give you anything away from the movie but in terms of creating suspense or just a style for the film um what was the conversation or how did you decide to give the drone a point of view as we kind of see in the trailer with you know that's from this point of view of the of the killer type thing
1: yeah you know i mean it, it, it's kind of that you look at a lot of those um you know flasher movies and oftentimes you you know are, you switch to the point of view of the killer and that, you know, puts the audience on edge because now the audience knows something that the main characters don't. And that is always unsettling. If, you know, if you're vicariously like, kind of experiencing the movie through the main character, they know something that they, they don't, you know, it's kind of like the um, Alfred Hitchcock had, had this kind of uh, metaphor analog where, you know, if you have two men having conversation at a table you know, but then you cut to a bomb under the table that's ticking down, to get ready to explode. You know, you're twisting the knot there and, and it's just a matter of time before you know something's going to happen. So it just builds that tension and, and hopefully a level of anxiety. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of the, kind of the idea behind that.
0: So you've mentioned Twilight Zone and Hitchcock is kind of your, you know, what led you into this genre perhaps. Was there any cinematic influences for this latest film?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Quite a few, and we really leaned heavily on some of the '70s thrillers, like the Elmwood Trilogy. Um, you know, all the Presidents Men and, and uh, Clute and Parallax View. Uh, you know, we thought those were kind of really nice touchstones to kind of lean on in terms of of, of of building this world and creating something different. You know, again, it's the old versus the new, and how do we make those kind of kind of vibe and, and create something that really hasn't been been seen before, or at least that was our intent, and I guess we'll leave it up to the audience to tell us if we got there or not, but um, yeah, so we, we leaned heavily on those 70s kind of uh, thrillers and try to utilize some of those techniques, and you'll, you'll see a handful of them throughout the movie, you know, like we tried to shoot a lot um, through windows and curtains and, you know, trying to always put kind of a wall between our main character and a person that they're meeting for the first time, so it's kind of this Figurative separation, where people aren't really sure if they need to or if they can trust one another, and they're keeping up this kind of kind of barrier and and kind of obscuring,
0: you know, the truth, so to speak. I'm sure there were uh, several small things, but are there any major differences that you experienced coming at this, uh, where you weren't the writer and director, and just the director, and how did you kind of take on that new role as more of a, you know, the oversight versus coming up with the entire idea?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that was. You know, one of my biggest concerns coming into the movie, not having, you know, written it, but, you know, in conversations with Cleo and, and how open she was to uh, ideas, I, you know, I, I felt at peace pretty early on. So we, it was a, a, a true partnership during uh, pre-production and production where we would just bounce ideas off of one another. And the best idea won, you know, it was it was always about what's going to make the movie better. And it was great having her, you know, kind of by my side. She's basically in almost every scene, um, but we really wanted her to focus on performance throughout the movie. Uh, but she was able to really kind of wear a couple. If we needed to have a, a meeting at the mound regarding, uh, you know, a, you know, potentially a problem or a new opportunity that popped up, you know, we could do that right then, right then and there. So it actually afforded a higher level of freedom, I think, for me. Um, than if I were just kind of on the the solo director
0: island. I read an interview you did with filmmaker magazine a while back, and one of the quotes was, "I've made my movie. I don't want to be making the same movie for ten years." I think you're following this goal uh, from an outside perspective, but you know what does this quote mean to you? Have you encountered scripts that were just too close to other projects? Like, how do you kind of you know push forward and keep keep finding new challenges as a director?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think you know, up to this point of my career, I just have been lucky enough to kind of follow my interest. And, and I, I'm not, you know, because the other two movies I've done, I, I've written it as well. So I, you know, basically writing what I want to, uh, and then I've been lucky enough to get those made. Um, and this one, you know, hover was definitely in my wheelhouse as well. I, you know, I have done a ton of reading on drones and where they're going and, you know, kind of, you know, where the technology is at. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've written things, you know, in the agricultural space too, and, and near future stuff. So it kind of checked all the boxes for me. So I, I think, you know, just being a, a, a curious human, I haven't encountered that yet, you know, luckily, you know, sci-fi is a, you know, a genre in and of itself, but it's a pretty wide uh, genre that you can play in. You know, it's not always about, you know, robots and spaceships, you can, you can really do a lot of uh, interesting work within, within that scope. And, and uh, yeah, I've been pretty lucky that I've got to make some pretty diverse movies up until this point.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter, where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.